to your Denver City Council. Please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. This afternoon's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Uh, Sam and Alejandro, would you please introduce yourselves and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Thank you very much. My name is Alejandro Arrieta. I am one of two Spanish interpreters today. I am working with my colleague, Sam. Uh, thank you for your patience as I provide these instructions in Spanish. Before then, just a friendly reminder, because it's been a while, to please keep a conversational pace when speaking, especially when reading off bill numbers. Thank you. Hola a todos. Muchas gracias por tenernos con ustedes. Mi nombre es Alejandro Arrieta. Soy uno de dos intérpretes de español con ustedes el día de hoy. Estoy trabajando con mi colega Sam. Si usted prefiere escuchar en español, puede seleccionar el icono terráqueo, el icono de mundo en la parte inferior a mano derecha de su pantalla. Después de hacerlo, va a seleccionar el español y pone el audio original en silencio justo después para que solamente escuche en el idioma de su preferencia. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandro. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, March 13th, 2023. Council members, please rise as we are able and join Councilman Clark in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you and council members, please join Councilman Clark as he leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. Thank you, Council President. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land through generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous peoples. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to work, to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call. Itabaka? Here. Herndon? Here. Cashman? Here. Black? Here. Clark? Here. Flynn? Here. Gilmore? Here. Hines? Here. Kenich? Here. Ortega? Here. Sandoval? Here. Sawyer? Here. Madam President? Here. 13 members present. There are 13 members present. Council has a quorum. Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of March 6th? 
Seeing none, minutes stand approved. Council announcements. Are there any announcements today? Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, President or Council President Torres. Excuse me. Um, I want to call out. Um, we have on the consent agenda a proclamation uh, this afternoon. Uh, we won't be reading the full proclamation, but want to acknowledge um, for Women's History Month um, and the Denver Police Museum, we are honoring uh, Officer Marsha Kadu. And um, Officer Kadu was uh, accepted to the Academy class in 1968. Um, she was one of only four women who were accepted to that academy class. And then again in 1972, she was also a groundbreaker um, when she became um, one of the first women uh, in the city and county of Denver who were assigned to patrol. And she dedicated uh, the greater part of her career to serving uh, the Denver Police Department and the citizens of Denver. And uh, she has since retired and is enjoying uh, that retirement on a ranch um, in Central City and the Black Hawk area. But again, um, would encourage folks to read uh, the proclamation that's in the system on consent, uh, celebrating her groundbreaking work in the city and county of Denver. Thank you, Council President Torres. Thank you, Councilman Gilmore. Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Um, often I opine up here about matters historical uh, related to city council, but I wanna mention something in my district uh, that is also historical. Uh, the unofficial historian of Harvey Park is a young fellow named Adam Stevens, uh, who lives in the Cliff May homes. The Cliff May homes in Harvey Park is a, a very distinguished mid-century modern enclave within the larger Harvey Park. And Adam over the years has amassed a great amount of uh, information about the history of what I, I remember up here about a year ago talking about the fact that the Harvey Park neighborhood used to be a ranch owned by Paul Whiteman, one of the most famous celebrities in the world, the big, big band leader of the 20s. Uh, but Adam is going to give a public presentation and mostly for the Harvey Park neighborhood. But I thought, you know, maybe everybody else other people around the city be interested in this. Uh, he's going to give a presentation on the history of Harvey Park at 10 a.m. this Saturday in the Bear Valley Branch Library, which although it's called Bear Valley Branch is also in the Harvey Park neighborhood. It's on Dartmouth, uh, just west of Sheridan at 10 o'clock. History of Harvey Park by uh, the unofficial Harvey Park historian, Adam Stevens. All are welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sedebaca. Thank you. I just wanted to um, take a moment of silence to remember Frank Renningshield. If you all recall, he was a gentleman who came in to speak to us on multiple occasions. Uh, he was an unhoused man who was one of the initial residents at our uh, native tiny home camp. And he was very connected to Mutual Aid Mondays. Mutual Aid Mondays will be having a vigil coming up. Um, they have not solidified a date yet. Uh, un unfortunately, he will not have funeral services here. His body is being shipped back to South Dakota, but you all are invited to uh, the vigil when it happens and I will keep you all posted when it happens. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, Councilman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Just wanted to um, bring attention to two community meetings that my office is holding this week. 
Um, the first one is tomorrow night, Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Montclair Civic Center, also known as the Mulkery, um, regarding ADUs in Montclair. The second one is a community meeting online um, with Dottie and DPD regarding uh, the traffic issues that we have seen on 13th and 14th. Um, so that meeting will be, again, at 6 p.m. That is going to be online on Zoom. And um, if residents are interested in attending, um, we have over 100 attendees signed up already. Um, you can do so by going to our social media at Denver Council 5. Um, that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, just a couple announcements um, from me. This week, Denver will be coordinating its third annual bison donation and transfer. Um, this is, as some of you may remember, stems from council's land acknowledgement and inspiring Denver Parks and Recreation to think differently about its bison auction and turning that into an annual bison donation to tribal um, uh, tribal communities who are reestablishing their herds nationally. So we will be seeing 30 plus bison uh, transferred out this week. Um, also, uh, doubling on that, I think that's really exciting is that uh, Secretary Deb Holland announced, uh, Secretary of the Interior, that the Department of the Interior will begin to focus on bison, bison restoration and expanding the tribal lands um, that can be home to them and announced 25 million in uh, federal spending will be used for bison conservation. So really excited. Denver, I think, is a part of that movement and um, proudly so. Um, and then just a quick shout out to Interneighborhood Cooperation who held their monthly meeting this past week in District 3. Thank you so much. And um, who elected their new leadership. Welcome to all those folks. Um, and that is it from me, Councilman Cashman. There we go. Thank you, Madam President. I just wanted to let the residents in Washington, Virginia Vale, Indian Creek, Virginia Village, uh, Goldsmith and University Hills North know that the uh, latest updated uh, draft of the near Southeast neighborhood uh, plan is available uh, for public comment. It's going to be going uh, before the planning board soon and then on to city council. Um, you can view that plan uh, draft at denvergov.org slash near southeast plan, denvergov.org slash near southeast plan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, there are no presentations, there are no communications, there are no proclamations being read this afternoon. Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. In the Finance and Governance Committee, 23-0187, a bill for an ordinance making an appropriation in the Colorado Convention Center Capital Fund. 23-0188, a bill for an ordinance authorizing a capital equipment purchase in the Parks Legacy Special Revenue Fund. 23-0199, a bill for an ordinance amending Section 18-81, DRMC, setting the salaries of elected officials officers for terms beginning July 17, 2023. In Land Use, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee 23-0181, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 2208 South Williams Street in University. 23-0182, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 750 East 9th Avenue in Capitol Hill. 23-0186, a bill for an ordinance approving and accepting the West Area Plan, 
which plan shall become a part of comprehensive plan 2040 for the city and county of Denver pursuant to the provisions of section 12-61 of the Denver revised municipal code. In safety, housing, education, and homelessness committee, 23-0192, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed amendatory agreement between the city and county of Denver and state of Colorado Office of Behavioral Health for substance use disorder, mental health treatment, competency enhancements, and jail medication assisted treatment at Denver County Jail. Thank you very much. Council members, this is your last opportunity to call it an item. Councilman Clark, will you make the motions today? Yes, Council President. Thank you. I'll do a recap. Under resolutions, no items have been called out. Under bills for introduction, no items have been called out. Under bills for final consideration, no items have been called out. And under pending, no items have been called out. That concludes the items. All bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members, please remember it's a consent or block vote and you'll need to vote aye. Otherwise, this is your last chance to call it an item for a separate vote. Councilman Clark, will you please read the, please put the proclamations and resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor. Yes, Council President, I move the proclamations and resolutions be adopted and bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items. 285, 183, 156, 160, 138, 139, 140, 141, 143, 144, 145, 146, 147, 167, 184, 185, 190, 191, 193, 276, 277, 278, 279, 280, 281, and 165. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Uh, Madam Secretary, roll call. Idabaka? Aye. Herndon? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Black? Aye. Clark? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Kniech? Ortega? Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. The resolutions have been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Tonight there'll be a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-0077, changing the zoning classification for 2030 and 2032 Blake Street and Five Points, and a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-0089, changing the zoning classification for 6298 North Argonne Street in DIA. Anyone wishing to speak on these matters must go online to sign up during the recess of Council. If there are no objections from members of Council, we'll recess until 5.30. Don't miss Women in Their Infinite Forms, a public arts installation curated especially for Women's History Month. Projects will be displayed at various locations around the Dairy Block during Women's History Month from March 1st through the 31st, with all proceeds from sales donated to the Athena Project as part of an annual fundraiser celebrating women artists in all disciplines. Precision Flight swarm intelligence, mind control, enter the world of bugs. 
Marvel at their adaptive genius and see if you can match their brilliance. Will you save the Japanese honeybee hive from an invading hornet? Can you spot the orchid mantis before she spears you for her lunch in the secret garden? It'll be madness, baby! Cinderella's buzzer beaters and upsets galore will be on display during the first and second round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. The Denver Museum of Nature and Science is excited to announce a one-time event with ethologist and conservationist Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, founder of the Jane Goodall Institute and UN Messenger of Peace. The 27th annual Denver Jewish Film Festival is once again back in person, emphasizing creating community around live screenings. Over 30 films will be shown between the Elaine Wolf Theater and the Plus Theater. Repurposing fabrics to build textile sculptures of tree stumps and tropical birds with flora, Tamara Kostanovsky's works weave together a narrative about loss and the power of hope. The materials with varying textures and colorful patterns are layered, twisted together, and quilted to create wall sculptures and freestanding multidimensional works that reveal historical and contemporary challenges confronting South American and Caribbean landscapes. Imagine it's 1.20 a.m. on April 15, 1912. You are locked in the bowels of the ship with your fellow third-class passengers as the Titanic begins its descent into the ocean. Can you solve the puzzles to travel from deck to deck and get on a lifeboat before the ship becomes fully submerged? And that's a quick look at what's happening in Denver this week. Hip up. I'm not coming up and then opening my hip up. I'm just leveling out, coming back down. We got two more. Switch it out. Good. Pro tip here, pick a spot on the ground, follow that spot, and it really does help you keep your balance. One more. Good. Set the weight aside. Time for our third exercise. We're going to come down to our mat. It's another core exercise. We're going to do one long plank. Now, if you're like me, you get bored during planks, so you can do any of the variations that I do. Um, I'll show you a few different variations through the course of our plank. Let's get that timer going. And ready, bring it up. Level one, we're just bringing it up to the knees, engaging that core, lower back, straight board down. Level two, I can take it up to my toes. Good. With either of those levels, I can take that up to my hands, making sure that I stack my joints. Wrists are underneath my shoulders. I've got a nice, good base. Good. I'm going to come back down to my elbows for now. Another variation I like to do is the rolling plank. Going from side plank 
two other side plank. And you can go back and forth, really finding a good balance there. Good. Another one I like to do, lifting a leg and then lifting the other leg. Keep breathing. We got 10 seconds. Five, four, three, two, and one. Bring it down. A little bit of a stretch here. Good. Feel free to do as long as you feel comfortable. 30 seconds, work your way up to a minute or longer and do any of the variations we showed. For now, we're gonna hop on to our next exercises, A, B, C. So, first exercise, I'm gonna scoot everything out of the way. First exercise here is gonna go ahead and set us up for our second exercise. So our first exercise is our curtsy lunge. With that, it's just gonna be a backwards lunge, only instead of stepping backwards, just backwards, I'm gonna cross across my back side. So let me show you in the front. This is a regular reverse lunge, back, and here's a curtsy lunge. I'm gonna take it across behind my leg. So we're gonna go ahead and do 10 on each side. There, good job. You can add those arms for balance. You can keep them on your body. You can also just add weights just off to the side. Good. Keep it up. Sinking low. I still want to make sure that front knee isn't twisting. So I'm not going so far that now my knee is twisting. Just a little bit behind so that I get just enough of that work on the inner thigh without the twist of the knee. Got one more on each side. Great job, shake it out. Our next exercise here is gonna be skaters. It's gonna be a little bit more cardio. Low impact is gonna be a little bit slower without the jump. So our skaters here, they look like speed skaters. You're gonna step to the side, step behind. Step to the side, step behind. Now this is level one, low impact. Level two, we're gonna add a little bit of a hop. Hop and down. Hop and down. Level three, we're gonna go ahead and add the whole thing at once and speed it up. So down and down. Back and forth. Good. Keep it going. Keep breathing. Good job, we'll get a water break after this. Jump, 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 good. Keep it up, 10 more seconds. Nice job. Good, three, two, one. Shake it out, catch your breath. Grab a sip of water. Hopefully we're still feeling good. We got another set of those curtsies and skaters. We're ready to get started. Take that position again. 
curtsy lunges again. This time, we're gonna add a little twist with our upper body. When you're skiing, you're skiing side to side, but your upper body is twisting with you and helping you move. So we're gonna add that with our curtsy lunge. Step and back. So it's just a small twist. If you want, you can take it all the way down and touch the inside of your foot. Or you can keep it up and just twist to the side. Good. As always, check that form again. Make sure that knee is lining up with where our toe is. We're doing great. Good job. Few more. Two more each side. Ready? Two. And two. And one. And one. Shake it out. Now's the cardio part. We're gonna add it a little bit faster. Ready? Hopping down. Hopping down. If you wanna take this up a level, you really wanna test that balance. Don't let that back toe touch. Just comes off to this behind us. Like you're skating. Back and forth. Good. Our core's engaged. Our balance is tested. Keep it going. Nice. Good job. We got about 20 seconds. Keep breathing. Sink low. Good, 10. We're almost there. Five, four, three, two, one. Shake it out. Good. So for the rest of our class, our C exercise, it's gonna be a little bit on our lower body and core down on the mat. Grab a sip of water, meet me down there. Awesome, now that we've had our, our water break, I've got a few extra items. I've got a yoga block here that I'm gonna use, but you can use any item you have at home. It's really gonna fit in between our legs. So a pillow, rolled up blanket, it's something to really give just a slight bit of resistance and really focus on keeping our knees together. Another one I have is I have these two rags. They're gonna work really well on this hardwood, hardwood floor. If you have hardwood or tile, um, you can use a couple rags. If you only have carpet at home, that's okay. You'll wanna get some paper plates or something like that to do the same exercise. As we're ready, come on down. We're gonna lay down and we're gonna start with some leg lifts. So there are leg lifts here. I wanna make sure that I'm laying down comfortably. I wanna make sure that as I lift my legs, my back doesn't start curving too much. So I'm gonna really focus on trying to keep my back straight. I put my hands down to my side and really use it as a, a help to keep my spine straight. My legs are gonna go straight out and we're gonna do three levels here. Each one's gonna be eight long, ready? Level one is just bringing those legs in and taking them back out, two. Keep breathing. Good. Not even really lifting my hips off the ground, just knees into center. Good. Last one. Now we're gonna do level two is in and up, down, out. In, up, down, out. Good. Keep breathing. There's three of them. Good. 
Three more. Good, last one. My hip flexors are feeling it. Now we're gonna go straight up, straight down. Now we're really working our lower core and our hip flexors. We really wanna make sure that those strengthen up so that we don't have issues. Especially we don't want an injury in the groin area. Three more, three, two, and one. Give me a full body stretch. Lay those legs down, hands overhead, stretch it out. Great job. So now we're gonna focus on some bridges. Here I wanna focus a little bit on my inner thigh, which is why I have my block. I'm gonna go ahead and fit that block in between. I'm gonna place my feet on the ground flat. Now I still want my knees and my toes to point in the same direction. So I don't want my feet so wide out that my knees now are pointing separately. So line up your knees, line up your feet, hands beside you. We're gonna make sure our shoulders are on the ground. We're gonna lift up our hips and you're gonna give a little bit of a squeeze as we come up. So whatever we stick between our legs, you'll want it to be, have a little give just so that you don't hurt yourself squeezing the object. Good, lift and squeeze and down. We're really working our glutes here. Our hips are lifting up. My lower back is engaging. Good. Keep it up. Good. We got four more. Four. Three. Two. And one. Good. Take that aside. If you really like that exercise, awesome. Stick with it on the second round. Or you can try my other variation here. So with my other variation, I'm going to use the ground. So I'm going to scoot my mat up, make sure I got plenty of room on the ground here. I'm going to stick my heels onto my rags and let them slide out. Same kind of movement. I'm going to lift my hips up, only this time my heels are going to drag coming up. This is really going to make those hamstrings firm. Take those hands to the side, ready, lifting up and down, lifting up and down, good. Keep it going. Give me six more, six, yes, five, four, three, two, last one, good, and down. Shake that out, rest it up. I'm going to set those aside. That's it for me today, so we're going to stretch out. Bring that mat down. First, what we're going to do is stretch out those hamstrings. They're working pretty hard right there. You're just going to lean forward, reaching down. If you want a little bit of help, instead of grabbing your toes, what I like to do is grab just underneath my, my calves and try and sit up straight. And you'll feel that stretch just a little bit more. Keep breathing. Good job, guys. What we're gonna go ahead and do is we wanna make sure our calves feel really good. Um, 
a lot of times they're in a nice stretched position because we're leaning forward in those boots. So we're gonna go ahead and point those toes and bring them back up. Point and flex. Point and flex. Couple more, point and flex. Good. Now I'm gonna take one of my legs, bring it up on top of the other one, right above the knee. I'm gonna bend to bring that up to a glute stretch. Feeling that nice down here. Good, and if we want a little bit more of that ankle relaxation, you can add a little bit of that roll. Good job. Couple more seconds. Love that stretch and switch it out. Good, keep it going. Nice. So next what we're gonna go ahead and do is we're gonna take it up to our knees here. Gonna do a few cat-cow to really loosen out the core and the lower back. Stretching into the belly, our lower back stretches out. And then looking up to the sky, really get those belly stretches back and forth. One more. Good job. We're gonna lunge it forward. And what I'm gonna go, go ahead and do is just stretch it up and pull it back. I'm gonna take it across for a spinal twist. Good, switching sides. Same deal, leaning forward. I'm gonna take my arm up. Can get a little bit of a stretch up through the side. Then we're gonna go ahead and twist it over for a spinal twist. Good. When we're feeling comfortable taking it slow to a standing position, roll out those shoulders a little bit. Last stretch, last balance test. We're gonna take a leg back. Get a nice quad stretch. Now here, pro tip, remember, look at the floor. Grab a spot and follow that spot. Other pro tip, you wanna feel a little bit more, bring those hips forward. Just a smidge, and you'll feel that stretch so much better. Notice I don't let my leg go out to the side. I'm trying to keep my knees pretty close together. It's a good way to keep that stretch. Keep your balance as well. Switching to our other side. Great, we'll finish out with a nice big breath. Take it in, deep breath in, and let that out. Great. Thank you all for joining me today for exercises for skiing. Like I said, feel free to follow my plan or you can change it up. All the exercises are gonna be pretty good for maintaining that balance and strength in those legs. Until next time, have a wonderful day.
just who am I? Am I an Americana? Am I a Spanish American? Am I a Latina? I'm proud to be a Chicana. Chicana means strength to me. Am I Hispanic? Am I a Chicana? Am I Latinx? It means we're proud. We're proud of who we are. We're proud of our ancestry. I'm all of them. I'm all of them. Yo soy Chicana. It's about our culture. It's about family. It's about uh, our food. It's about our language. We are probably some of the strongest women in this country. I am a Chicana, a woman born here in this country, but with very strong Mexicana roots and indigenous roots, and whose life is dedicated to social justice. We have a unique place, and sometimes we're the nurturer, and sometimes we're the warrior, and sometimes we're both. Many people have asked me over time what it meant when I said I was Chicana, that I'm not Hispanic, I'm not Latina, uh, I'm Chicana. Um, that came out of that time in our history, in the early years of the Chicana movement, where we began to look at each other and say, well, who are we? Uh, where do we belong in this, in this history, in this place? The original inhabitants of Denver, um, at least going back about 500 or so years, were the Cheyenne and Arapaho, Kiowa, Comanche, um, indigenous peoples who came to this area because of natural resources and migration patterns of big game. We have to honor that. We have to recognize the Cheyenne, the Arapaho, um, the Ute. We have to know that Confluence Park they gathered. We have to know that they gathered along the South Platte and, and hunted in this area. We were um, people that um, went through colonization, like many peoples did here. But it, there was also the, the attempt to create cultural historical amnesia with us. Oh, to forget that you might be Pueblo Navajo, you know, forget that you might be Maya Azteca, forget that you might be Tahumara Iñaki, forget that you might be, that the blood that runs through you might be the blood of First Nations people, indigenous people. And in doing so, taking away your moral standing to say, I've always been here. This is my homeland. 
When this um, land was under the Spanish, there were efforts made to bring settlers into what was then the northern frontier of what was then New Spain and then New Mexico. And they would be given land and access, often private land, and also access to common lands called ejidos. And so there were early settlements as early as the 1700s um, in northern New Mexico, or well, Santa Fe even earlier than that. When the Spanish came, where they really concentrated was the San Luis Valley and northern New Mexico. Santa Fe was the oldest town before Jamestown. Think about that. ancestors were here and they came over from Spain as settlers in what was then the territory of Mexico. And when they got the land grants they moved up north into Colorado and they all, my mother's parents and my father, their parents, all their relatives, uh, they all landed in the San Luis Valley. I was going through some books and I found a, a book on the Rivera family on my mother's side. The Rivetas have been in New Mexico for 472 years. There was the term Spanish America. My grandparents and great-grandparents clung to that term because it made them what? More acceptable? More Spanish? And then as history unfolded and you begin to research it, you realize well, Spain was not the good guy here. Spain was a colonizer that came to this country with the sole purpose of, in fact, getting rid of people that were indigenous and First Nations people. And we're tied to that. But we also intermarried. And that's where the whole idea of mestizo came about. My mom says, you know, I'm more Native American than I am Mexican because her grandmother was Native American. She was an an Indian woman that happened to marry my other great-great-grandfather, Montoya. And as a result, we were born a mixed um, race. Now we call it biracial. Um, that's what it, it would, you know, but it's, to us was a mestizo, mestiza. We were of the two bloods. the American nation, the expanding American nation at the time, went to war with a very struggling Mexican nation. The 
So most people don't know that then there was an illegal war because Congress didn't approve the war against Mexico that President Polk launched because he wanted the seaboard. He wanted, he wanted the California seaboards. That's what he wanted. The war ended with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which essentially gave, well, $15 million, which was nothing at the time, the entire Southwest plus California to the United States. And so you have those very rooted old Mexican, Mexican settlements in Southern Colorado, in Northern New Mexico, um, and throughout the Southwest. And overnight they became Americans. And actually the treaty said that they had one year to either leave Go, go to Mexico or to become American citizens. Mom says, but you know, Indians, Spanish, they think we're all Mexicans, but we didn't come from Mexico. We were born in, we were all born here in the United States, what is now the United States. My father would tell me stories of uh, Mexican, you know, people uh, who, li who always lived in Texas, but then the border changed. That's what he said, you know, we were here, the border changed. For m many Mexican-Americans of the Southwest, the border crossed them. They didn't cross the border. First Mexicans arrived with the gold rush and there are some documented examples of um, people of Mexican descent panning for gold in the in the Platte River in the late 1850s when when everyone was kind of turning their attention to that area as potential gold um, areas and so there have always been migration patterns between those settlements and places like Denver often you would have people agricultural people who would settle in those um, those older settlements in southern Colorado migrate to the north seasonally for jobs in Denver, even north of Denver in the fields, like a beet fields of, of what is today Weld County. Well, to be any person of color during the Great Depression was to be scapegoated for a lot of the economic problems that the country was experiencing. Um, to be Latino, Chicano, Mexican-American at the time was certainly to be scapegoated as the other. And often the first fired from jobs as jobs were being eliminated nationwide, particularly in the Southwest, and also to be ineligible for many of the government programs, the relief programs such as the WPA or direct relief programs in the New Deal. Um, it was also to be excluded. In 1936, the governor of Colorado declared martial law for 10 days and closed down the border between um, Colorado and New Mexico to stop that migration, that seasonal migration of laborers headed to the agricultural fields of northern Colorado from New Mexico, and they tended to be mostly Hispanic. I 
people were very discriminated against. My father was. I saw him refuse service um, because of the way he looked, because he knew only Spanish. We were called dirty Mexicans, black Mexicans, greasy Mexicans, no good for nothing Mexicans, lazy Mexicans. My mother um, and many of our people went to schools where they were punished for speaking Spanish. Our parents didn't raise us learning that language because they feared that we would be punished, that we would be hurt and harmed because we chose to speak that Spanish. I had that influence of my dad who was fiercely, fiercely one of those who grew up in a time when uh, they were ostracized for being brown, being Mexicano, the whole thing, no dogs, no Mexicans allowed. And so he was very fierce in his wanting all his daughters to speak English. My parents grew up in a, and you have to understand, they grew up in a time when you walked into the theaters and you saw two signs in Del Norte, and I still remember as a little kid. Mexicans, up, whites, and I refused to go up, so I, they, I had to sit outside. When I got home, my mom told me, when we were visiting in, in Del Norte, she said, that isn't the way it is. And I said, Mom, what do you mean it isn't the way it is? Look at me, I'm white. And she says, yeah, Tita, but they don't look at you that way. They look at us as Mexicans. She pulled out her birth certificate, and on her birth certificate it said, color, Mexican. We lived in a city that we were invisible in. We were not accepted, couldn't get jobs. We had to build our own houses because we couldn't get loans or people who would help us do that. There was incredible confrontation with police all the time between our community and them. Clearly, we didn't have people on the police department that looked like us, any, any way you looked at it. And their whole attitude was always one uh, they were always in that siege mentality, a military, it, we were to be kept suppressed. That was their role. Keep those spicks in order. The city was not hiring them. Um, it would be until, not until the 1970s when we get our first, for instance, uh, Chicano or Mexican-American firefighters. Right? So there was a long history of discrimination. Um, you know, you have those, those civil service jobs that were dominated by, by whites. And I'll, I'll also add to that um, a history in the educational realm of not teaching the youth their history. So what they were being taught and by whom was really important. They were being taught a very white version of, of history. Um, they were being taught the literature of, of white figures. I mean, their identity, their history, their creative contributions to the culture were, were non-existent. And further, they were being taught in schools that were dominated by white teachers and white administrators. We didn't have anything to see ourselves as a community. Most of the kids I grew up with never had gone to Mexico, 
never learned to speak Spanish, never were, had seen Mexican art in the home or in books, and, of, and absolutely nothing in school. They thought they were teaching us Mexican culture by teaching us the Mexican hat dance. They really and truly thought that they were doing us a big service. We had no books in Spanish, no books uh, reflective of our culture, zilch, um, in, not even in junior high or high school. We never knew what a, a Ute was, a Arapaho, Apache, none of those Navajo. Well, of course, they have their own names for themselves. We never heard any of those names. We never learned a drop of that history. Um, we never learned about any Spanish surnamed people from this region, nothing, zilch, literally. So that's kind of the backdrop of, of where we're at when the Chicano movement began. The leadership of that movement, my dad, Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez, said, wait a minute, we will not sit back, we will not be silent, we will stand up, we are going to start a crusade for justice. We're watching radical Anglo move. You get this burst of activism in the 1960s due to a confluence of factors. One being the African American Civil Rights Movement, which was, you know, very active since the 1950s. In addition, and this is very significant, is the war in Vietnam, which politicized a generation of young men who came from Chicano families and communities and were disproportionately drafted into the war, this war for democracy abroad, and then came back to the very same discrimination they experienced before. Out of all of that discrimination comes a political consciousness and a desire to, to do something about it. And we were out in the streets reflecting um, the desire to have this be an America, and I don't mean this to be rhetorical, but a, an America for each and every one of us. The Chicano movement to me is, is parallel to the civil rights movement that, that our black sisters and brothers went through. The John Lewis's to us, that's uh, Corky Gonzalez. From Denver, Colorado, Rudy Corky Gonzalez. He, he was an incredibly successful boxer, could have made it, made it out of the barrio, could have moved on, had his own businesses, and couldn't just, he couldn't just do it for himself. He was raised with a different value system. Familia y comunidad, always. We had great strength in that. We had incredible, an incredible leader in Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez who made us believe in ourselves that we shouldn't be treated any less. When Mexicans start to get it, they say, well, gee, they might think I'm a bad guy. You know, the hell with what they think. Because what they thought has created all the problems for the mass of our people. In 69, I'll go back, there were members of our organization whose children went to West High School. And they came to complain about the t uh, a teacher that badmouthed Chicanos and Mexicanos about the lack of the curriculum that didn't speak to our history. They organized the West Side Walkout. And I was assigned by my dad to be that mentor kind of person that would help them and, 
and make sure we organized everything, everything was in place. And uh, so we did, we marched on West High School and, and in the film, you'll see me, I have the bullhorn with the pigtails and the red, um, red ties on it. And we, we, people said it was us that, that, that somehow rioted, it wasn't. The police were called and they, they descended on us and that's when the other part the the parents and grandparents like my dad and out and our our uh, older community didn't tolerate it and came you know came tried to come to our rescue and they tear gassed the west side for three for three days it was a police riot um, many of us were arrested and charged and then charges were dropped blood flows amid riot and disorder how many times? In more traditional narratives of the Chicano movement, you, you hear men's names, right? The four horsemen of the Chicano movement. And you're like, no, that's not right. A lot of women involved and they played very key roles. They sometimes weren't given the very public roles of speaking and you know hosting these demonstrations and so forth but they were there. They were just as active in the planning, in the the expression of this new political consciousness and also in the logistical part of the movement. In the Chicano movement, my mother was, along with many of the other women, an integral part of the movement, its organizing, and the crusade for justice. They were the backbone. They were taking care of families, but they were also the backbone. When they needed to do fundraisers or pull together support for actions that would be taken, much of that work was done by women women who did the calling, women who would get other comadres and aunts and, and grandmas to get, come and be involved, to create, you know, cook the food, to create the dinners, to raise the money to support the action. But they were the ones who were uh, in the background, preparing, editing speeches, uh, typing out speeches, taking care of the children, teaching, nourishing, and nurturing. The families helped each other and there was a sense of community back then because there were, um, there were so many things that they didn't have, but what they did have was each other and what we call now social capital, right? And so they used their social capital and their love for familia and their love for community and they, they supported each other and helped each other. They worked on the, for the benefit of the family, not the benefit of the individual. That was their difference. They worked for the benefit of the entire community not for the benefit of themselves, individually. You know, a lot of people say, um, so did the movement accomplish what it needed to do? It accomplished a great deal. It moved us further than we'd ever been. I think it has made a difference politically. There are more uh, people registered to vote. I think it has taught us that there's 
power in the vote and that we have a right to be a major part of the voting bloc. It's because of the Chicano movement that we have people in college and we have professors now that look like us, talk like us, think like us, because there was a Chicano movement. And now you see Chicanas um, in very prominent positions. My name is Ramona Martinez and I'm a former member of Denver City Council. I was elected president of city council, not once, not twice, but three times. When you're a minority woman, you have to not only try harder, but you have to prove yourself just as, even twice as hard. All the men were getting elected, all the men were doing that. And we, the women never really got to that point until I finally said, <laughs> enough's enough. I got involved in Head Start programs, helping kids in Head Start programs. I did that. And I eventually, it, it involved in me seeing how important it was to get involved in politics and to be at the table. If you didn't have a seat at the table, making all the rules, changing laws and so forth, then we really wouldn't have a voice. The city was really seeing the changes that Federico wanted to make, that Mayor Pena wanted to make at the time. The building of the airport, the convention center, downtown housing, Coors Field, so I had a, a great deal of responsibility. For nine years, I tried to get the city to realize that the lowest income community in this entire city was Sun Valley, which I represented. We needed a new center for those kids. We needed a new recreation center. It was the oldest one in the city. It took me nine years, and I'm very proud of the fact that I didn't give up on nine years for those kids to have that recreation center. I think the most professional contribution I made was to show that we could, as a Latino, a Latinas, could be in the same world that had been dominated by males all the time, by showing leadership, by showing strength, and most of all, by not being selfish. La, 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 buenos dias. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Canción Mexicana. I am Yolanda Ortega. I am a performer. I am a musician. I'm an actor. I am a cultural worker. I am a, an activist, a community activist. That was Nuestras Tradiciones Culturales. I'm a volunteer at KUVO, and we have listeners who have listened to us since we went on 35 years ago. In life, we must share our stories. One of the loves of my life has been involved with Su Teatro. It's one of the leading Chicano uh, 
theatros based here in Denver. We began in the 60s and 70s as a, as a whole group of theatros that sprung out of the Chicano movement. If you're part of a movement, if you're part of growing and being successful, you have to do that with your hand reaching out to others. I started working at MSU Denver in 1972. I got a position as a secretary for Chicano Studies. From there, I started getting promoted. From being a director of student activities, I was promoted to assistant dean and dean and then associate VP, and finally uh, vice president of student affairs. Especially working with Latino students and uh, women, the young Latinas, um, that was really important for me. We were able to be part of a whole uh, cadre, a whole group of people of color, students of color, that made the universities that much richer. My name is Martha M. Urioste, and my title is Dr. Martha Urioste. I'm an educator. I became an educator because I love children. I love all children. Actually, my mother wanted me to be a secretary, and I said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I want to be an educator. That's what happened. I was in many, many, many assignments. The last one that was so important was North High School as an assistant principal. And then after that, I was a Montessori principal at Mitchell Elementary School. And it was the first time that we had ever had a Montessori education in a public school in Denver, Colorado, and the state of Colorado. So it was very, very unique. What I love most about Montessori is that we're educa educating children to um, develop their human potential. It's not about tests. It's not about tests. It's about a child becoming who they are by the time they're 24 years of age. And it happens. Because the children are the ones who are teaching themselves. The, the Montessori teachers are providing the environment, they're providing the materials, they're sharing the materials. It's the student who is doing all the learning, what's of interest to them, where they will concentrate, what they're going to be doing when they grow up. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This is to acknowledge a great visionary who has served Family Star with a generous heart. Montessori chose me. I worked 45 years in the Denver Public Schools and I was I was so fortunate to be able to realize my dream to help children, all children. I'm still doing that. <laughs> That's what I love to do. My name is Patricia Barella Rivera and I was the former director of the Colorado U.S. Small Business Administration. The first Latina in the country to be an SBA director out of 70 offices. 
I loved my job. I loved it because we were helping small businesses in the whole state of Colorado. I traveled all 64 counties in the state and I loved helping people. It, it was a great job, but it was also one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had. It was male-oriented, male-dominated, and they made it very difficult for me. They would treat me like I wasn't as smart as they were, or that, you know, why am I here in this position as a Latina and a woman? You know, I felt like I put a suit of armor on every day, walk out the, out the door, out of my home, and I have to leave that suit of armor on until I get back home because it's coming at you left and right and you're being tested continuously and being questioned continuously. But I was determined I was going to hang in there because when I left, we were giving $1.2 billion in loans to small businesses and the majority were women and people of color. That had never happened. And that just warms my heart. Hopefully I left a positive uh, legacy for future women to come in and women of color. So because of me and others of us working so hard, we want our younger generation to realize that we have really worked to bring them along. My name is Adriana Abarca, and I am the founder and board chair of the Latino Cultural Arts Center of Colorado. Growing up here in Denver, I believe that our cultural heritage, for the most part, has been erased or ignored or not adequately represented in the mainstream. If we can make those materials available, then there won't be any excuses for ignorance. So the Latino Cultural Art Center is intended to represent all of the cultural aspects of the Americas. Our vision is to offer three locations, all within eight blocks of each other, and all in central Denver. Las Bodegas, which is a creation space that will also have a coffee shop. Y José del Sol, which is the retail component, and the Mexican Heritage Museum the Museo Colibri dedicated to all of Latin America. We would have a restaurant, the research library, a small black box theater, and a rooftop event space. And then ultimately, we hope to be able to build an academy of Latino cultural arts. We believe it's important to cement the Latino presence in the inner city, especially in the times of so much gentrification and so much disbursement of our uh, communities and we need to have a central place to convene and feel uh, pride in where we came from. I hope to teach future generations um, how to empower themselves and I hope to set that example for them
So my name is Charlene Barrientos Ortiz and I am a community engagement manager. So I work in health research and behavioral health research um, there at the university, but I've worked throughout the state with um, marginalized and um, uh, communities and underserved communities. So I began my public health career really early on, but it was really when the HIV epidemic hit Denver. It hit close to home and uh, I had family members who um, were infected and it was very, there was a lot of stigma and, and a lot of shame put for those folks who were impacted and infected. People needed to talk about it and we needed to really work um, towards healing. So this was an 80s, mid and late 80s. Folks were ostracized not only from their communities, but from their families. Our communities were harder hit, and sometimes it was harder to talk, um, talk about it. In terms of community engagement, it was really um, ensuring that people were at the table and when they couldn't be, how do we, um, how do we change that? So people in the community would call me a healer. They would call me a curandera. I identify as somebody who prays with my community and prays with my people. And that doesn't just mean Latinos. It is generational. You know, my mom was indigenous. My grandma, they were, they were really rooted in spirituality and, so, and, and religion. But there is this other level of energy and love. If people would just tap into that, when, when you pray with people and I support them, I guide them and I facilitate their healing with them, we co-create that. It connects us to the future and it connects us to the past. I'm thriving compared to where my grandma and my mom were. I'm thriving and they would be, for sure, my mother was very proud of me. She was just really proud that I, um, that I stood for community. And in, space and in spaces and places that uh, brown women weren't, you know, we weren't supposed to be. And that um, I was able to um, sometimes maneuver, sometimes invited, sometimes as a token. But once I got there, I was speaking truth to power. I'm Lucia Guzman, and I've been called many things. Reverend, because I'm an ordained minister. I'm a senator, so I've been called senator. So I was uh, the first uh, Hispanic to lead the, uh, the Senate caucus. When I first came to Denver, I came to uh, study theology. We all are called to some place of pain but there is hope in the struggle and there's hope in the movement towards righting a wrong. The Senate chamber, is you're working for the same thing. It was major uh, for me to be um, one of the first openly gay lesbian persons to be elected to our, our chamber, to our Senate chamber. I mean, we, we had to fight for the Civil Unions Bill, and the passage of that bill was enormous. Another major milestone on the journey that is the project of your sacred union. We would hear comments on the other side uh, that were very discouraging and very hurtful, very painful. 
but um, this is why it's important for us to be elected and for us to be there because um, people need to know us as whole as whole persons not just um, a gay person here, a lesbian there, a transgender person here, but get to know us as real people, as whole people. We're as whole as anybody else. This thing really grew this year. All of those things mixed together, and it all has brought me to this place of hope because life is hard. It's not easy. It's really not a bed of roses. It is hard, but we're called to be better citizens. At the end of our lives, that's what we should look back and say. I walked that trail, I felt those thorns, but I'm, but I'm thankful. Well, I'd like to introduce myself as Nita Gonzalez. in February on Elevating Denver. A humanitarian effort challenges the Mile High City. Take a look back at Five Points with the Emancipation Theater Company. History a story is always important. And memories create bonds and profound writing. Get it out of my head, out on paper, and therefore get that relief. Those stories and more on the next episode of Elevating Denver. Hey Denver, the decision is yours on April 4th. Make your voice heard by voting in the 2023 municipal election. Stay up to date on the candidates and the issues you'll see on your ballot at denverdecides.org. There you'll find Denver's most complete guide to help you choose your next mayor, city council members, and more. Candidate profiles, live candidate forums, and ballot issue breakdowns can all be found at denverdecides.org. Denver Decides, where Denver voters turn to get informed. Winter is here and icy sidewalk conditions can be dangerous for pedestrians. All Denver property owners are responsible for the sidewalk in front of their property. If you see an icy spot on a public sidewalk, call 311 or report the problem through pocketgov.com. Remember to include a picture if you can, as they are always helpful to identify the exact location. The city will then send out a neighborhood inspector to the address as soon as possible. Businesses and apartment buildings are required to begin snow removal as soon as it stops snowing. Residential properties have 24 hours until they have to shovel. Let's all do our part to keep Denver's sidewalk safe for everyone. Denver 311 and PocketGov are helping you navigate Denver City Services. Get ready, Denver. It's almost time to vote. For our mayor, city council, 
clerk and recorder, auditor, and more on Election Day, April 4th. Ballots go out March 13th, and you have until March 27th to return it by mail or drop it off when it's convenient for you at any one of the citywide ballot drop boxes or drive throughs If you choose to vote in person, vote centers will be open through 7 p.m. on Election Day. To help research your vote, watch upcoming Denver Decides forums and visit denvervotes.org. Drop off your ballot or be in line to vote by 7 p.m. on Tuesday, April 4th. And be ready when it's time to vote. Do you want to be active in your community, but you don't know when or where things are happening? Well, don't sweat it. Just check out the upcoming events calendar on denvergov.org. It's your one-stop shop for community meetings, online workshops, and more, so you can be fully informed and involved. You can even search by date, keyword, or even what neighborhood you live in. Plus, you can also see on what holidays the city is closed. The upcoming events calendar, yet another great feature on the all-new denvergov.org. Hola Denver, la decisión es suya el 4 de abril. Haga oír su voz votando en las elecciones municipales de 2023. Manténgase actualizado sobre los candidatos y los problemas que verá en su boleta electoral en denverdecides.org. Allí encontrará la guía más completa de Denver para ayudarlo a elegir su próximo alcalde, miembros del consejo municipal y más. Los perfiles de los candidatos, los foros de candidatos en vivo y los desgloses de las boletas se pueden encontrar en denverdecides.org. Denver Decides, donde los votantes de Denver recurren para informarse. Women in Their Infinite Forms, a public arts installation curated especially for Women's History Month. Projects will be displayed at various locations around the Dairy Block during Women's History Month from March 1st through the 31st, with all proceeds from sales donated to the Athena Project as part of an annual fundraiser celebrating women artists in all disciplines. Precision Flight Swarm intelligence, mind control, enter the world of bugs. Marvel at their adaptive genius and see if you can match their brilliance. Will you save the Japanese honeybee hive from an invading hornet? Can you spot the orchid mantis before she spears you for her lunch in the secret garden? It'll be madness, baby! Cinderella's buzzer beaters and upsets galore will be on display during the first and second round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. The Denver Museum of Nature and Science is excited to announce a one-time event with ethologist and conservationist Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, founder of the Jane Goodall Institute and UN Messenger of Peace. The 27th annual Denver Jewish Film Festival is once again back in person. 
emphasizing creating community around live screenings. Over 30 films will be shown between the Elaine Wolf Theater and the Plus Theater. Repurposing fabrics to build textile sculptures of tree stumps and tropical birds with flora, Tamara Kostanovsky's works weave together a narrative about loss and the power of hope. The materials with varying textures and colorful patterns are layered, twisted together, and quilted to create wall sculptures and freestanding multidimensional works that reveal historical and contemporary challenges confronting South American and Caribbean landscapes. Imagine it's 1.20 a.m. on April 15, 1912. You are locked in the bowels of the ship with your fellow third-class passengers as the Titanic begins its descent into the ocean. Can you solve the puzzles to travel from deck to deck and get on a lifeboat before the ship becomes fully submerged? And that's a quick look at what's happening in Denver this week. In February on Elevating Denver, a humanitarian effort challenges the Mile High City. Take a look back at Five Points with the Emancipation Theater Company. History a story is always important. And memories create bonds and profound writing. Get it out of my head, out on paper, and therefore get that relief. Those stories and more on the next episode of Elevating Denver. Get ready, Denver. It's almost time to vote. For our mayor, city council, clerk and recorder, auditor, and more, drop off your ballot or be in line to vote by 7 p.m. on Tuesday, April 4th. And be ready when it's time to vote. When Denver weather delivers snow, everyone should help to keep walkways clear. For some, shoveling snow can be difficult, almost impossible. It's times like this that neighbor helping neighbor really makes a difference. Grab a shovel, volunteer, and become a snow angel. If you need help or want to volunteer, contact snowangels at denvergov.org. For more information, go to denvergov.org forward slash snowangels. In Denver, the road most traveled is uh, full of potholes. Fear not, worried traveler. Denver's Department of Transportation and Infrastructure is ready to fix the problem. To report a pothole, call 311 or go online at pocketgov.org. Click on the button, report a problem, fill out the quick questionnaire, and within 72 hours, crews will be sent to fix the problem. Call 311 or go online at pocketgov.org. Denver is a vibrant and active place, and there are events happening every day in our community. And now it's easier than ever to find out what's going on in your neighborhood and across the city. Just check out the What's Near Me feature on denvergov.org. From our many recreation centers, vaccination clinics, festivals, venues, and even cats on mats, there's so much to explore. Just enter your address or scroll across the map to see what pops up. What's Near Me, yet another amazing feature on the all-new denvergov.org. Denver's Hawk Crosswalk signals are helping us cross streets more safely. Just press the button to activate the flashing yellow warning lights so drivers are alerted to slow down and stop, giving pedestrians a safe way to cross. Visit denvergov.org slash vision zero. 
Clearing sidewalks after snowstorms helps ensure the safety and mobility of our entire community. This is important especially for senior citizens and people with disabilities. What's inconvenient to you could be dangerous or even life-threatening to them. Be sure to shovel your entire sidewalk. A wheelchair needs a minimum of 36 inches to pass. And if your property has a curb ramp, be sure to clear that entirely as well. Residents and businesses alike need to help make our community safe and accessible for all. Hey Denver, the decision is yours on April 4th. Make your voice heard by voting in the 2023 municipal election. Stay up to date on the candidates and the issues you'll see on your ballot at denverdecides.org. There you'll find Denver's most complete guide to help you choose your next mayor, city council members, and more. Candidate profiles, live candidate forums, and ballot issue breakdowns can all be found at denverdecides.org. Denver Decides, where Denver voters turn to get informed. Welcome to your Denver City Council. Please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. Uh, the second Monday of most months, Denver City Council in partnership with Arts and Venues celebrates our thriving cultural and creative sector by featuring the talented artists and cultural organizations that make our city great. Uh, Nico Martinez is a talented Colombian singer, songwriter, and real estate advisor based here in Denver. Originally from Medellin, Nico moved to the United States at the age of 10 and has since developed a unique sound that fuses the rhythms of multiple genres and eras of music. Nico's music is to inspire the Denver community with his mission is to inspire the Denver community with his creative sound, dissolve cultural barriers, forge magical moments, and be a role model, role model to others. He seeks to reinvent Latin fusion by incorporating international sounds composed of flavorful and energetic melodies with his own unique style and voice. As a multicultural leader, Nico influences the Denver community to feel connected, inspired, and enriched by the diverse and dynamic atmosphere that music can create. Please join me in welcoming Nico to Denver City Council. Welcome, Nico. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you, President Torres, for having me in such a wonderful and honorable location here in Denver. So I didn't, I didn't think I could be nervous uh, ever again, but it is making me a little nervous being in front of you all. So I hope you enjoy the music, though. And uh, like you said, so I'm here representing my country of Colombia. I'm a proud US citizen, been here for 23 years with my family, migrated from Colombia. So I'd like to share with you some music um, for the atmosphere. So this is a Latin fusion. You guys will see uh, in a second what that means. <laughs> Thank you. 
got a black magic woman got me so blind I can't see. That was a little uh, uh, Carlos Santana meets uh, Café Tacuba, which is an international group from, from Mexico. So this last one, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, reggaeton vibes, and that's kind of where we're at in the times, with a little bit of R&B built into that. So here we go. Doing you right, the type of woman so 
Thank you. I was delighted. I hope you guys enjoyed it, enjoyed it and uh, carry on with the meeting. Thank so, you. Thank you very much. And so they, folks can find you at nicomartinezmusic.com, right? Yes. So I serve two purposes in the community, which is bringing music and also the, uh, the opportunity to own your own home. So, you know, uh, Nico Denver Homes is my, my real estate mission. And then Nico Martinez Music is my, uh, my Instagram and social medias for, for music. So great. Thank, thank you so, you so much guys. for being here tonight. Appreciate it. All right. Um, okay. We'll now reconvene from our earlier session. There is no unfinished business. There's no proclamations being read this evening. Uh, we have two required public hearings tonight. And uh, for those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium on the monitor on the wall. You'll see your, you'll see your time counting down. Uh, for those participating virtually, when called upon, wait till our meeting host promotes you to speaker. When you're promoted, accept the promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone. All speakers should begin your remarks by telling council your name and city of residence. And if you feel comfortable doing so, your home address. If you've signed up to answer questions only, state your name and note you're available for questions of council. Speakers will have three minutes. There is no yielding of time. If translation is needed, you'll be given an additional three minutes for your comments to be interpreted. Speakers must stay on the topic of the hearing and must direct your comments to council as a whole. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech and refrain from individual or personal attacks. Uh, Councilman Clark, will you please put Council Bill 23-00077 on the floor for final passage? Yes, Council President, I move that Council Bill 0077 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you, we'll let our system catch up and can I get a motion and a second? Excellent, thank you very much. Required public hearing for Council Bill 23-0077 is open, and we are getting the staff report ready. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, City Council. I'm Brandon Shaver, Senior City Planner with CPD, presenting the official map and application at 2030 and 2032 Blake Street. 
Uh, the subject property is quite unique. It's currently vacant and the property, the Rockies purchased it from Excel Energy in 2016. This came with a 20 year no build restriction and an easement to allow access to the future Barker substation. The substation building is located on Market Street and some utility uses exist today. The requested PUD follows these restrictions and allows an additional use with a variety of limitations, public space and event requirements, as well as enhanced design standards. Moving to the site, it is in Council District 9 in the southern portion of Five Points. And zooming in a little bit closer, you can see the subject properties at the southeast corner of 21st and Blake Streets. The current zoning, uh, PUD 329, covers the majority of the block, and I'll detail it in the next slide. Surrounding zoning includes former Chapter 59 zones, B8 and RMU 30 with waivers, as well as Denver Zoning Code Districts, CMX 8 and IAU02 at Coors Field. PUD 329 was adopted in 1983 during the construction of Coors Field and allows for a future substation along Market Street, as well as mixed use commercial and residential development across the remainder of the block. Buildings are limited to five stories and 55 feet in height with the maximum floor area ratio of 2.5 to one and a maximum density of 112 dwelling units per acre. The PUD also contains additional requirements related to setbacks, parking and loading, landscaping and buffering, as well as requirements to ensure access to the substation during periods of construction and maintenance. Again, the site is currently vacant, sometimes used for game day and special event parking, as well as for uses associated with the existing facilities and utilities at the future, at the future substation. Uh, we see a wide range of uses in this area generally, uh, with large amounts of surface parking, utilities on the XL site, entertainment at Coors Field, multi-unit residential, office, commercial retail, and mixed use. Taking a look at the surrounding context, you'll see the subject site at the top left and right photos, as well as Coors Field and the Barker substation building in the bottom photos. Surrounding buildings are generally two to eight stories in height. So now moving to the requested zoning, the proposed BUD is based on CMX5 with an additional primary use known as event space with alternate parking and loading. This use contains a number of limitations and requirements related to private open space, a minimum number of public events, at least six of those will be free of charge, and event-based design standards that ensure the space will be inviting and activated for more than, 200 more than 200 days per calendar year. There are additional standards that relate to fence height, materials, opacity of fences, and the spacing of masonry columns to align and relate to course field across Blake Street. Other improvements such as high quality weatherproof furniture, seating, waste receptacles, and minimum bicycle parking are required. The PUD also ensures access to and operation of the future substation through a required parking operations plan and relief from open space and public event limitations during periods of construction and maintenance. Lastly, the PUD requires a minimum of 26,000 square feet for the event space. Uh, this PUD has been in development since 2019 with the original information notice being sent out in October of 2021. The applicant then continued working with Excel and CPD and submitted a final application in December of last year. Today, we have received three letters of support from nearby RNOs, including the Ballpark Collective, Downtown Denver Partnership, and the Lodo District. No letters have been received from the public. Moving into the review criteria, there are four adopted plans that give guidance for this area of our city. Please bear with me as I run through them. As stated in the staff report, this rezoning is consistent with several goals and comp plan. Some of these goals include improving access to quality of life resources, 
increasing amenities, urban amenities in our city and using high quality urban design to enhance our cultural identity. Moving to Blueprint Denver, this is the map that's part of the downtown neighborhood context, which is the densest and most active of the contexts. However, this PUD uses an urban center district as its base. These districts are very prevalent in the area and are intended to promote active pedestrian scaled areas, which further the goals of Blueprint Denver remain consistent with the overall intent of the context map. Future places map shows the subject properties as part of a high residential area. These are areas with a high mix of uses where plazas are common and trees should be included on site. The proposed rezoning is consistent with this plan direction, creating an inviting and active event space with distinctive streetscape elements to complement course field and strengthen the pedestrian realm. This request is also consistent with future street types with Lake Street as a downtown arterial and 21st Street as a local or undesignated street planned to become a portion of a festival street and a key spine of the 5280 trail. The growth area in Blueprint Denver is high and high medium residential areas in downtown and urban center contexts where we anticipate 5% of employment growth and 15% of housing growth by 2040. This is consistent with the rezoning request as PUD G27 could potentially allow for new housing and jobs after the no build restriction is lifted in 2036. I will also note that Excel has a development covenant in place to ensure that any future development projects are compatible with the adjacent substation. The proposed rezoning also meets additional strategies in Blueprint Denver as it will rezone from an old code PUD to a new code PUD. And it's also consistent with Blueprint's direction for limiting the use of, of custom zoning to unique and extraordinary circumstances. Uh, therefore, the unique location of the site, the no build restriction, access easement, and adjacency to Coors Field justify the use of custom zoning at this site. Next, we have the Northeast Downtown Neighborhoods Plan, which was adopted in, in 2011, rather, and provides guidance for the site. Key recommendations include giving prominence to the pedestrian realm and paying special attention to Blake Street. The land use concept is mixed use and the maximum building height is eight stories. The requested PUD district allows for a mix of uses, including an event space with alternate parking and loading at a maximum building height of five stories, which is consistent with the recommendations in this plan. Lastly, the site is covered by the downtown area plan, which recommends entertainment fo focused redevelopment in ballpark with active uses along the street edge and pedestrian improvements to nearby streets, especially 21st Street. This PUD is consistent with this vision, creating a vibrant and welcoming pedestrian realm, integrating with future improvements related to the future Festival Street concept along 21st, and limiting future development to the more pedestrian-oriented shopfront building form. Staff also finds this requested zoning meets the next four criteria, resulting in the uniformity of district regulations for CMX-5, furthering the public health, safety, and welfare through implementing adopted plans and activating a key corner in our downtown. Numerous plans have been adopted since 1993, and along with the, the property retaining former Chapter 59 zoning serve as appropriate justifying circumstances, and the PUD base of CMX-5 is consistent with the urban center neighborhood context, mixed use district purpose, and specific intent statements. The Denver Zoning Code also sets forth five additional review criteria specific to PUDs. Consistency with these criteria are provided in detail in the staff report, and I will summarize them briefly. First, PUD G27 is consistent with the intent of planned unit developments as customization is necessary to address special characteristics and development constraints and allows an additional use with a lot of limitations. Next, P 
PUDG 27 is not a vehicle to develop the site inconsistent with the surrounding neighborhood context or adopted plans and provide significant public benefit with publicly accessible open space, required public events, and pedestrian-oriented site improvements. PUDG 27 also complies with the standards and criteria in Division 9.6 and is necessary as this development is not feasible under a standard zone district and establishes one additional use with site-specific limitations ensuring compatibility with the surrounding neighborhood. Lastly, PUDG 27 establishes permitted building forms that are compatible with adjacent existing building forms by using tailored design standards to activate the site, enhancing the 21st Street Festival concept, and allowing parking to occur on limited days while respecting the no-built restriction and access easement for the future substation. Therefore, CPD staff recommends approval of this PUD based on finding all the standard and PUD-specific rezoning rates review criteria have been met. I'm happy to answer questions. Maybe the expert team is here in person as well. Thank you, my mic was muted. We have seven individuals signed up to speak this evening. If you're here in person, after your name's called, please make your way to the front bench. And we will, one moment. We'll start with Amanda Greenberg. Good evening, Amanda Greenberg, 950 17th Street. Denver 80202. Um, I'm counsel for the Denver Metropolitan Major League Baseball Stadium District in the Colorado Rockies, and I'm here to answer questions. Thank you, Amanda. Our next speaker um, also signed up in person, uh, Andrew Eltis. Good evening. Thank you so much for having uh, this uh, in front of you tonight. Um, I want to start by saying thank you as members of council and all those in the community who tirelessly work to improve downtown as a vibrant and vital um, neighborhood for everyone. We really need it these days and, and appreciate all your work. Um, my name is Andrew Iltis. I live at 1521 South Vine Street in Denver. Um, I am Vice President of Community Impact and Planning at the Downtown Denver Partnership. Um, we are a place-based economic development and place management organization made up of 500 companies and community partners in downtown, as you probably will know. I'm here uh, this evening on behalf of the partnership in support of the rezoning at PUD uh, to PUD G27. The partnership often acts as stewards of community plans, such as the 2007 downtown area plan, the Northeast downtown neighborhood plan, the parks and recreation uh, outdoor downtown plan, as well as the visionary work surrounding 5280. And we agree with the staff recommendation, um, comprehensive evaluation that this proposed application for Rockies Plaza and the subsequent rezoning um, of, of the lot is a genuine effort to bring activity and quality design to a neighborhood of downtown that is in need of these types of projects. We fully recognize the uniqueness of the site that includes various land agreements, as well as prominent positions serving as an important corner on 21st Street, the Festival Street, and in relation to the plans for the larger Envision 5280 trail. We've had several conversations with the applicant about how the proposed vehicle parking use of the space can be facilitated within a proposed shared street condition on 21st Street, 
as currently designed, and we have appreciation of the project team to consider the overall experience of the site during these days. We all know that there is a severe lack of parks and open space in the neighborhood, specifically space for sports activities. This is a location where residential and visitor population create a strong demand for these types of activities. In 2018, the Downtown River Partnership in coordination with the city created the square on 21st to demonstrate how adding these activations in the ballpark neighborhood could be successful. And it was a lot of fun. Hope you came out and got to experience that. We are confident that under the Rockies management, the site has the potential to be a great new place for people to gather and enjoy the Five Points neighborhood and ultimately supportive of an attractive and active downtown member. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker in chambers is Sean Malley. Good evening, Madam President, members of council. Uh, my name is Sean Maley, address is 1137 Bannock Street in Denver and speaking on behalf of the applicant team for the Colorado Rockies. Um, we're kind of out of our um, order that we had in our head, so bear with us, but um, just wanted to make a few additional points as it related to the uh, consistency with adopted plans. Brandon did a really good job in his staff report and working with us um, kind of walking through how Blueprint Denver envisions these types of hardscape plazas, uh, private open spaces in the downtown neighborhood context. Because um, when you're in a residential high future place, as Blueprint identifies the site, uh, you want to have and encourage these types of places for people, families, and kids to recreate and spend time outside. Um, as was just discussed, the neighborhood does not have good access to parks and open space currently. Uh, this is identified in some of the adopted neighborhood plans and acknowledged by city staff. Um, Blueprint has a measurement for neighborhood, neighborhood equity, uh, seeking to have living units within a quarter mile of a quality open space. Um, Blueprint also recommends expanding tools and regulations to ensure high quality parks and outdoor public spaces keep pace with Denver's growth. Um, the downtown area plan has a goal number C2, uh, to be a family-friendly place and to create more family-friendly environments for parents and children alike. The plan calls for launching a series of events aimed at attracting children and families downtown and integrating features like plazas, fountains, and play environments. Um, the Northeast Downtown Neighborhoods Plan has a section on livability in the public realm where it states, in an urban neighborhood, life happens between the buildings, the parks, plazas, sidewalks, and streets, and how we perceive that space is critical to the livability of the environment. The current site is not anything to be proud of, and we're very excited about the community benefits this PUD creates for the neighborhood and for the city. Uh, we're also excited about the potential for future community partnerships, and wanna thank the many members of the community uh, that have worked with us for the last three years on this project. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you tonight. I'll be available with the rest of our team for questions after. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is joining us on Zoom, Richard Farley. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, good evening, um, Madam President and members of um, City Council. Um, my name is uh, Dick Farley and uh, I live at uh, 2500 Walnut Street and I'm uh, co-chair of the, uh, of the uh, Lodo District um, uh, Inc., a business-oriented registered neighborhood organization covering lower downtown. <clears throat> we strongly support uh, this uh, rezoning 
which will bring a family-oriented baseball-related play park to this part of downtown. It's a very creative transformation of an underutilized parking lot, which because of Excel's easements will unlikely be developed into an uh, active and supervised and maintained baseball-related event, event park. It will also bring families downtown and to lower downtown and become a destination along the 5280 trail. Again, we strongly support this rezoning. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker also joining us on Zoom is Benjamin Van Sistine. Uh, hello, and thank you for accommodating access via Zoom. Uh, my name is Benjamin Van Sistine from the Ballpark Collective, registered R&O uh, at 2127 Larimer Street, just a few blocks from the site. Uh, I'm an uh, event producer. I've been working with the Ballpark Collective for over five years on various projects. The Rockies have included us as part of this sort of design process um, as they've envisioned the site and have been a great support great in, in including the neighborhood in the, sort of the conversation of the design that that you've seen. Um, so we've very uh, much support the rezoning and the PUD. Um, they not only sort of incorporated us, but also other event professionals and uh, people that are looking to activate the site. So they've um, incorporated different utilities and amenities um, that will help us better activate the site in the future uh, to bring more families uh, downtown as part of these events. We've got a long history event with Irish Fest, Stars and Stripes. We were a big part of activating uh, the square on 21st. Um, and this site will be a great extension of some of the strategic work that's being done on 21st um, and will really help support future events with some of those amenities having a fenced in um, space to be able to execute some of these bigger neighborhood events. Um, so we are in, in full support. Uh, thank you to members of council and uh, hope, hope this uh, goes through. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, our next speaker is John Januszewski. Good evening, my name is John Januszewski. I'm with Stantec Architecture and my address is 1417th uh, Street in Denver, 41017th Street in Denver, sorry. Um, this is a fairly complicated PUD and it shouldn't have to be that way quite honestly, but we're trying to do open space in Denver and uh, in a park in Denver. Uh, but we found with all the kind of, kind of competing interest, if you will, we had to come up with a PUD. And so what we did is we worked very uh, closely with the city um, and city staff and stakeholders to kind of find out again what this area needed. And, and uh, overwhelmingly, it keeps coming back to uh, open space. And can we, and what we can use to use this open space for community benefit. And so we crafted this PUD to kind of work with all the stakeholders and work with the city. Um, our vision for the space is to, uh, it's a no build zone, uh, but use this private open space to create a flexible plaza area is what our goal is here. Um, we've worked kind of for the last two years uh, with CBD staff uh, and uh, the community stakeholders uh, to come up with uh, something that I would consider multi-use and multi-benefit. 
the end of the day. Um, as you can see in your packet, we've crafted a vision for the plaza that provides for a unique recreational park that conforms with all the requirements included in the PUD. The park design and the PUD were designed and crafted concurrently to assure that the PUD provided for great placemaking and flexibility. Um, to the south uh, of the plaza, we have a game area uh, where visitors and neighbors can bring their kids, play some family and youth-oriented activities uh, designed all around a baseball-themed challenges. Um, to the north, we have more of a passive area where someone can sit in the shade, read a book, or just take a break along the 5280 trail. Secondly, we designed the space to be flexible enough to accommodate the PUD event requirement, where we'll be hosting a variety of events in the plaza each year and have the opportunity to partner with the neighborhood groups and the community groups along this uh, 5280 trail. Also in your packet, there's examples of what the event plaza could look like, whether it be a neighborhood movie night or an event connected with a festival on the 21st Street. Given the site constraints with this property, and the different ownership and the no build provision, we think this is a wonderful use and the rezoning fits perfectly in the neighborhood and makes for a vast improvement over the site's existing conditions for the last 20 years. This is an opportunity to deliver in a growing Baltark neighborhood, a recreational park amenity that's unique to Denver and a great way to continue to activate our downtown. I'm available to answer any questions going forward, but in closing, we'd like to thank city, city staff, especially Brandon, for all his efforts over the last two years. Thank you. Thank you very much. And our final speaker is Greg Fiesel. Good evening, members of city council. My name is Greg Fiesel with the Colorado Rockies. My address for the record is 2001 Blake Street in Denver. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today and thanks for having us. On behalf of the Colorado Rockies, we are honored to be here with our rezoning application of 2032 Blake Street, um, which we refer to as the XL lot or the Rocky Plaza. This project is a result of a long-term vision that we've been working on for well over 20 years. Uh, with XL, nearby property owners, the neighborhood, community groups, and the city. Our goal is simple, to improve the long underutilized fenced in lot across the street from Coors Field into a neighborhood amenity and to enhance the front door of the Coors Field experience. The Rockies are thrilled to have over 50,000 square feet of public space already open and bringing vibrancy downtown at our nearby McGregor Square. And we see this project as a continuation of that outdoor experience with a complimentary plaza and neighborhood amenities of 26,000 square feet along the 5280 trail. A lot of work for the Rockies started through the involvement with the downtown area plan, the subsequent plan to turn 21st Street into a festival street and the 5280 trail. We have worked very closely with Excel, who is the co-applicant on this application and they own and maintain a small utility space and a reciprocal easement area uh, for the adjacent Barker substation, which we plan to activate in the future. The adjacent uh, substation has been stated, has a no build provision, and it's one reason why this property is set for years uh, vacant in a, you know, a fenced in lot. Our goal is to bring a safe, secure, clean, family-friendly plaza and event space to the front door of Coors Field 
that can be flexible and serve a number of different functions every day, game day, and event days. Uh, we also want to thank uh, the city, uh, Brandon, the neighborhood, the property owners, the community groups who have worked over the years to get us to this point. And um, I am here to answer any questions and thank you for your time and for your consideration. Thank you very much. Um, that concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on Council Bill 23-0077? Seeing none, public hearing is closed. Are there, oh, Council McKinney. Thank you. May I just sneak in before, sorry. Go ahead. I um, was wondering if I could just ask a couple clarifying questions. I do understand the no build um, standards, but I did just wanna clarify in, in the, it's a 20 year period. And so in the, the future of the site after that, there's this easement access, but is there any sense of what happens after the 20 year period and this kind of, can you just, yeah, give me just what the, the help bridge for me, what the potential scenario is after that expiration? You know, we, we, we don't know. Okay. Um, we, we really don't. Um, for years, it's almost been 25 years, uh, it was going to be another two or three years that the XL station, uh, substation would be um, put in. And it's, I think it's now over the next two years. You know, we don't know if it's going to be put in or what's going to happen, but um, to get, to be able to get the property, we had to agree to the no build for 20 years. Okay, gotcha. It's just we're doing land use here for. Sure. It's just a little unusual to be doing zoning under these kinds of circumstances. So, the other question I had was, um, you know, we we have some city standards, and this might be a question for the the city staffer, but um, you know, things like trash cans per square feet and. Um, I think I, I was briefed on this so long ago before you actually filed the application. And so event space is obviously, you know, one of those things we always are concerned about our surrounding neighborhoods. And, um, you know, obviously with the 5280 trail and the potential to do the festival street, I don't want to assume that what's going to happen on this site might just be what's happening on this site. There might be festival street and other types of permits that are associated with it but I didn't notice there were any restroom requirements in that list. And so I, you know, this is an area that's constantly of concern to our community when people are celebrating. And um, so I was just, it seemed like an oversight to me. Huh. <clears throat> I think that is a really great question. I think it maybe wasn't something that we discussed because anything that would be like classified as a structure is not allowed to be built on the site. So yeah. they wouldn't be able to accommodate any kinds of structures, including restrooms on the site itself. I'm sure I asked you about this in our briefing a long, long time ago, Greg, or does someone want to share with me how you're going to accommodate the celebrations in terms of people's human needs? Yes, um, great question. The same way we do now, we would bring in uh, portable restrooms okay. uh, that we operate at McGregor Square in our parking lot um, that we, when we close down Blake Street, we would operate it the same way. Okay, so in spite of the fact that the city isn't requiring it on these particular terms, you would be bringing those in? Yes. Okay, yeah. all right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you. Um, Council President. Thank you. Um, comments by members of council on Council 23-0077. Councilman Hines. 
Thank you, Council President. Um, thank you to uh, the applicant. Uh, thank you to CPD um, for uh, for the the project. It uh, it was years ago um, that I got the briefing about this as well. So I was initially um, a little more reserved than I am now. Uh, but um, whether you've been working on this for three years or 25 years, I am so happy that we're finally activating um, yet another area that really should be, <laughs> uh, if not for Excel, uh, and thank you, by the way, Excel, for, uh, for moving on this property. Um, you know, it, it would be lovely if we had additional activation um, in an area that uh, certainly is a center of uh, tourism, commerce, and, uh, and residents. So, um, so thank you for uh, your patience, your diligence uh, to the uh, to the applicant, um, I, uh, I already said uh, thank you to Excel. The only other thing that I wanted to say is I am so excited with all the people who talked about the 5280 trail. So um, I'm really happy to, uh, to hear that so many times. I think six different uh, speakers talked about the trail. So um, I look forward to working with the applicant and, uh, and frankly, anyone else uh, about the trail in the, in the coming uh, years. So thank you so much. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Uh, go online to Councilwoman Sedabaka. Thank you. Um, I, I don't love PUDs because when we first got on council, we were told that we were getting rid of them, but this is a complicated scenario. And so I do understand that this team has worked really hard to figure out um, what is appropriate for this space. Um, so I'm supportive of this tonight. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Bill 23-0077. Sidabaka? Aye. Herndon? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Black? Aye. Clark? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Hines. Aye. Kniech. Aye. Ortega. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Madam Chair. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 23-0077 has passed. Thank you all very much. Uh, Councilman Clark, will you please put Council Bill 23-0089 on the floor for final passage? Yes, Council President. Sorry, I lost my page here. Uh, there it is. Uh, I move that Council Bill 0089 be placed on final consideration and do pass. Thank you. And did that get, let me get that moved and seconded, please. Thank you very much. That's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 23-0089 is open. May we have the staff report? Hi, Libby. Good evening. I am Libby Kaiser of CPD, and tonight we're looking at a rezoning for 6298 North Argonne Street. The property is in Council District 11, represented by Council Member Stacey Gilmore, in the TIA neighborhood. The property is located at Southwest of 64th Avenue and Tower Road. It's approximately six acres and is currently vacant. The applicant is proposing to rezone to the suburban mixed use three-story district 
which would allow a variety of residential, civic, commercial, and industrial uses in the general shopfront drive-through services and drive-through restaurant building forms. The DIA Influence Area Overlay Zone, or AIO, would also apply to this rezoning. And the overlay prohibits single unit and two unit dwellings and multi-unit dwellings are not allowed north of 64th Avenue. The existing zoning CMU 20 and CMU 30 with waivers and conditions are districts from former chapter 59. The waivers and conditions prohibit residential uses in both districts, as well as some commercial and industrial uses in the CMU 30. However, the use overlay one allows adult businesses. Development intensity is limited by a floor area ratio of one, and there is no maximum height. Adjacent zoning is also a former chapter 59. Looking at the existing context, the subject property is vacant while a three-story hotel is located to the south and a stormwater detention facility is located to the south. Um, land to the north and east are also currently vacant. Throughout the rezoning process, the application notifications have been provided according to code requirements and to date staff has received zero public comments. Also as part of the process, Staff has worked with the applicant to outline a large development framework that specifies the steps required for development of this site, including rezoning approval, a development agreement, and approval of various site development applications. The development agreement includes contributions of parkland and payment in lieu of parkland, as well as recreational amenities. And in addition, the applicant has committed to an affordable housing plan that will provide 8% of dwelling units at 60% of area median income, which is in line with the expanding housing affordability requirements. Moving on to the zoning code review criteria, it must be found that the requested map amendment is consistent with these five criteria. In regard to criteria one, there are three adoptive plans that apply to this site, including Comp Plan 2040, Blueprint Denver, and the Far Northeast Area Plan. As stated in the staff report, the rezoning is consistent with several goals in the comp plan, particularly as they relate to providing more housing in every neighborhood. Looking at Blueprint Denver, the plan defines the future neighborhood context as suburban. And since the proposed SMX3 zone district is within the suburban context and allows a mix of uses, the proposed rezoning is appropriate and consistent with the plan. The rezoning request is also consistent with the future place types defined in Blueprint Denver. The residential high medium place type calls for multi-unit residential and neighborhood serving mixed use in buildings up to eight stories. The subject property is also within the DIA influence area, which is intended to ensure that new development remains compatible with the nearby airport operations. Oh, still on this, um, the rezoning request is also consistent with the future street types defined in Blueprint Denver, which classifies Argonne Street as a commercial collector. And according to the plan, commercial streets typically contain commercial uses such as shopping centers, auto services, and office. And buildings are set back with on-site parking. 63rd Avenue and Ceylon Street are classified as local or undesignated streets, which can vary in their land uses and are found in all neighborhood contexts and are typically characterized by residential uses. 
the SMX3 AIO zone district is consistent with the street types as it would allow a range of mildly intense uses, including residential, and the SMX3 district is intended to be applied to areas or intersections served primarily by local or collector streets. The subject property is part of the growth area categorized as greenfield residential areas, which are anticipated to attract 0% of new jobs and 5% of new households. And the subject property um, is, as mentioned, within the DIA influence area that prohibits some uses that would otherwise be allowed in the underlying zone district. And the proposed SMX3 zone combined with the airport influence overlay is consistent with this growth strategy as it facilitates new multi-unit housing while prohibiting single unit and two unit dwellings that aren't compatible near the airport. Furthermore, the proposed rezoning helps implement the blueprint Denver policy related to converting former chapter 59 zone districts to the current zoning code. Blueprint Denver also defines three major equity concepts to consider for planning and implementation. And these concepts include improving access to opportunity, reducing vulnerability to displacement and expanding housing and jobs diversity. And these concepts are used to evaluate large area rezonings like this one. The subject property is in an area with low to moderate access to opportunity. It has low scores and built environment related to access to parks and fresh food, while the percentage of child obesity is high and access to transit is poor. In response to the equity analysis and affirmed in the development agreement, the applicant will provide parks and open space, as well as a playground, shelter, park benches, and pedestrian connections that will help address access to opportunity. The subject property is also in an area that has medium vulnerability to involuntary displacement. The subject area is scored as low or as vulnerable to displacement in median household income and educational attainment. And in areas with a higher vulnerability to involuntary displacement, it's important to increase affordable housing options so residents of all income levels can continue to live in these neighborhoods. And as mentioned, the applicant has opted into the city's affordable housing requirements, which will help address vulnerability. And the subject property is in an area that has moderate housing diversity. However, the area has a higher percentage of owners to renters and less diverse housing costs compared to the city as a whole. And affordable housing will help this metric. Regarding jobs diversity, the subject property and surrounding area have 86% innovation jobs, 14% retail jobs, and less than 1% manufacturing jobs. And then looking at the far northeast area plan, this plan was adopted in 2019 and closely mirrors what's in Blueprint Denver. So the future neighborhood context is also suburban. The future place type is high medium residential and the DIA influence area applies. And the growth strategy also follows Blueprint Denver and categorizes the property as greenfield residential areas. Finally, maximum heights are five stories. And so based on all of the above, the proposed rezoning is consistent with the recommendations of the far Northeast area plan. The rezoning is also consistent with criteria two, three, and five as stated in the staff report. 
In regard to criteria four, the fact the property retained former chapter 59 zoning is the most applicable justifying circumstance for this. In addition, the Blueprint Denver and Far Northeast Area plans were adopted after the existing zoning district was put in place. And these plans recommend more intense uses and better design outcomes than the current district. And therefore, the adoption of these plans is also an appropriate justifying circumstance. And in conclusion, CPD recommends approval of the rezoning request. Thank you very much, Slippy. Um, we have no individuals signed up to speak this evening. Do we have any questions from members of council on Council Bill 23-0089? Councilwoman Sawyer? I can. Better? Yes. Okay, go see him. It looks like it was <laughs> on, but I turned it off and it went back on again. Um, okay, sorry about that. So just wanna make sure we're not building housing in an area where there are gonna be planes landing over it. And then we are going to hear complaints about the noise from the airport. And I don't think we can guarantee that you wouldn't get complaints, but the fact that we don't allow any single unit or two unit homes to be built within this DIA influence area, would help to limit that. And by only allowing some like attached project for product and multifamily housing, which is better insulated against noise impacts. Okay, great, thank you. Yep. Great. We'll give it a second. All right, seeing no one left in queue, public hearing is closed. Are there comments by members of council on Council Bill 23 0089, uh, Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, seeing that this um, rezoning meets all of the criteria and they have um, opted into um, producing um, affordable units, I am in support of this tonight. Thank you, Madam President. Great, thank you. Seeing no one else in queue, uh, Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Bill 23-0089. Sidabaka? Aye. Herndon? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Black? Aye. Clark? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Kanich? Aye. Ortega? Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes, Council Bill 23-0089 has passed. Thank you, everyone. On Tuesday, March 28th, 2023, Council will hold courtesy public hearing on Council Bill 23-0186, approving and accepting the West Area Plan, which, um, which plan shall be part of the comprehensive plan for 2040 for the city and county of Denver, pursuant to the provisions of sections 12-61 of the Denver Revised Municipal Code. And on Monday, April 10th, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-0181, changing the zoning classification for 2208 South Williams Street in University, and a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-0182,
changing the zoning classification for 750 East 9th Avenue in Park in Capitol Hill. Any protests against council bills uh, 23-0182. Excuse me, we listed that twice. I'm assuming that's uh, 23-0181 must be filed with the council offices no later than Monday, April 3rd, 2023. And there being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.